a shark? Yes, but not just a shark. Well, then what is it? Tiger plus a shark. What, 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 tiger shark? Oh, what? Tiger shark. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to Let's Jaws for a Minute, the podcast which takes a deep dive into Steven Spielberg's 1975 classic film, Jaws, Minute by Minute, or Thereabouts. I'm your co-host, MJ Smith. And I am Sarah Buttery, and we are joined by a guest today from the Choose Film podcast. It is Gary Hewitt. Hey, Gary, welcome to the show. Hiya. Thanks very much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and talk all things Jaws. (laughs) Oh, it is our pleasure and uh, returning the favour because I popped onto your very fine podcast. Um, I think I was asked to talk for like five to ten minutes about Jaws and it ended up being about 20 minutes and ended up as a bonus episode. Um, so now you get a, a full hour or so to <laughs> talk Jaws with us. Um, so yeah, really looking forward to continuing to dive into this scene this is sort of the tail end of the scene that we started talking um about last week but uh before we get into that um of course gary we have to ask you uh, the jaws question all our guests get asked whenever they come on the show um is why do you love jaws so much and and maybe when was it the the first time you saw it if you can remember and just generally what it is that you love about jaws so much yeah, so since I was a little kid, I've always been a huge fan of dinosaurs and sharks. So as you can imagine, I'm a huge fan of Steven Spielberg. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think I've seen Jaws maybe 30 or 40 times, to be honest. And I was, mm. that did start off when I was young, maybe, I don't know, 10 years old. And I love introducing new people to Jaws as well and watching their reaction to it, especially if they've like... Mm-hmm. They know it's about a shark, but don't know any of the story. So I just love watching with other people as well. And as a kid, I loved the film, but I hated stuff in it, like how the shark was always from its point of view. And I was like, no, I just want to see the shark. I want to see the shark. And then (laughs) as you get older, you realise like why that was done and how that works better, like less is more. And those POV shots really work and just stuff like that. And I don't know, I just... I just love it and I love it that little bit more every time I watch it and I'm sure I'll love it that little bit more after this episode. Mm-hmm. That is that is our aim, that is uh, to make all of our guests fall even more in love with Jaws uh, than they were already by the time they're done talking with us. Um, so uh, we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm confident that you will <laughs> love it even more by the time we finish chatting. Um, so the scene that we're talking about this week, the timestamp is uh, from 41 minutes and 21 seconds to 43 minutes and 28 seconds. So this is, this is a, a fairly meaty scene and quite quite dialogue heavy as well but a lot of great stuff and a lot of great comedy in this scene as well it has my favorite quote we'll get to that um i say favorite one of my favorites uh but (laughs) um i'm sure i say that every week so this scene uh is the we're still at the dining table in the brody house uh with hooper and ellen and brody and um we sort of kick off from 
when uh, Hooper is saying that he needs to tell the guys at the Oceanographic Institute that the shark is still out there and uh, Brody sort of says, you know, why would you want to tell them that? And we finish it off uh, with Brody saying, uh, I'm the chief of police, I can do anything. Um, or a variation of that. I probably said it wrong, that's okay. Um, in the meantime, we have Brody pouring himself a very, very large uh, glass of wine, um, some great reactions and um, another sort of great and interesting conversation between Ellen and Hooper as well. Um, so there's there's plenty to get stuck into uh, in this scene. So I will not waffle for a second more and um, hand it over to you, Gary, to tell us um, something that you that you picked up on this scene or something that you liked about this scene. Yeah, so for me, this is the midpoint of Brody's journey. This is the minute he decides to take charge. So if you think about everything that's happened before that, there's been a girl that's basically been murdered on the beach, followed by a boy. The government of Amity has stopped him investigating it. The mother's boy blames him for her son's death. He kind of blames himself as well, I feel. And he's just sat with one of his own children and realised that it could be it could be his own children that could have been in that water. And now there's Hooper sitting in front of him and his work has come home with him. His work is now in his house sitting, eating his leftover dinner. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it kind of reminds me of, you know, those scenes in serial killer shows or movies where the detective comes home and they've got the envelope filled with their documents and their crime scene photos and they scatter them about the floor or on their table. Mm. For me, Hooper is basically Brody's envelope with all the facts and details and it's basically, what is he going to do with this, this information going forward? Mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting actually you say like, um, Hooper having the facts but also we get in this a great payoff from a previous scene where we see Brody reading all the shark books and even though he was in a pretty frantic state when he was reading those books he was clearly taking in the information because he sort of verbatim quotes back some of the things that were in those books his sort of shark facts that he has retained um quotes them back so i think maybe we even said on that episode as well that he brody was reading those books obviously to better inform himself about the the enemy if you will is is the shark and um, because he's a police officer and that's what you do you want to get to know the perp the criminal that you're trying to catch um it's been a while since we've had the shark being in handcuffs metaphor but it's it's <laughs> coming back uh, <laughs> with a vengeance um and yeah and and obviously he's he's reading those books to learn about the thing that he is is going after but also i think I hope I mentioned in that episode as well that he was possibly also doing it to brush up on some shark facts because he knew that experts were coming in. Um, so this is this is kind of a payoff for that for that scene, um, which I think is really great. And obviously Ellen was in that scene as well, and she's she's here and is present in this conversation as we mentioned last week, and I think that's important as well. And yeah, it's Brody has clearly retained the information that he needs to retain in terms of uh he sort of says like is it true that sharks uh kill people th in three feet of water or, or 10 feet away from land something like that um and he knows about the rogue sharks as well and sort of the general idea of a territoriality as well and you can sort of see hooper 
his eyes kind of light up a bit in this scene as well where he's he knows that this guy sat in front of him unlike the mayor unlike some of the other guys on the island this person here is actually wanting to do the right thing has got his information has clued himself up on the things that he needs to know um and therefore they're going to make a pretty good partnership going forward and they've not known each other that long but you really get the sense of i get the sense in this scene anyway of brody and hooper really forming a bond and there's some very very funny moments as well which i think we'll get into but yeah like the fact that those you know the reading of the books that we saw brody doing earlier is sort of uh coming to fruition in in this scene shall we say yeah it's almost like if jaws was set now he's basically used wikipedia to research sharks and now (laughs) hooper is his fact checker so he's got Mm -hmm. all this information on sharks and he's like okay i want to make sure this is correct this is correct and this is correct and hooper's basically ticking Mm -hmm. those boxes for him yeah hooperpedia yes (laughs) (laughs) yeah so him retaining the information is um i think it it what am i trying to say it is a really good illustration of something that's kind of implicit within um brody that we kind of hear a lot which is his anxieties because he's clearly got this anxiety about the water and um I struggle with a unique kind of anxiety, not really unique. A lot of people have it, but it's called health anxiety. So I think I'm dying kind of all the time. And so any like weird little feeling in my body is definitely the thing that's going to end my life, uh, despite having countless doctor's appointments and hospital visits that have been caused as a result of my panic and anxiety, uh, where they've taken my blood work and been like, you're fine. You're a perfectly healthy 32 year old man. (laughs) Um, And This is exactly what having health anxiety is like, but with sharks, because what happens is you feel like a little tightness in your chest that could be indigestion or just your muscles tight in your chest. And you go, that's a heart attack. Time to Google what the symptoms of a heart attack are. And then you find every symptom that you're currently having and you go, see, I'm having a heart attack. Never mind the fact that if you were having a heart attack, you probably couldn't be Googling whether or not you were having a heart attack. (laughs) And uh, then you memorize those facts about a heart attack. So the next time this happens, you go, hey, I remember reading about what the heart attack symptoms are. That's what this is. And that's kind of what, uh, and then you do this like selective retention too, because uh, Brody kind of conveniently and Hooper also, they don't mention how often shark attacks actually happen, um, which is pretty rare. Uh, Like this is an extremely unique circumstance, but Brody has it in his brain that this is just what life on an island is like. Like I just have to deal with shark attacks now. Granted the sequels kind of prove that, but those (laughs) don't exist yet. Um, But I think it is a very like um, subtle way in a a time period that doesn't really explore that theme uh, because we didn't, you know just public talking about anxiety and stuff didn't really happen um and it may not have been the intention of the author but it can be read that way now for sure where you get scared of something and then you read up everything you can about that thing and it just makes you even more terrified of that thing that you were already scared of yeah and i guess you could almost i know you have mentioned this on past episodes about how you can 
look at the mayor and what's happening in today's world with COVID, but it's kind of the same thing as what you're saying there, MJ. Like, you, you're sleeping at night and wake up with a dry throat and all you need is a glass of water, but your head goes, mm. COVID, I must have COVID. <laughs> you know, you yeah. overthink every little thing when there's something happening around you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when, when you are completely immersed in something or surrounded by something, it does bring that panic in even more so where you sort of think that you know using the covid example yes like every time you have like a slight cough or just feeling slightly under the weather you're like this is what it must be um and perhaps the way that brody channels his anxieties is is this sort of retaining all of those things about the shark but you're right it is it's not about like um i don't know i'm trying to think of like a a nice friendly shark fact but it's none of those things it's all like sharks will kill you in this amount of water and they will uh you know when they go rogue they will basically stay in a place until there is no food left it's all sort of quite um morbid or frightening things that he has that he has retained and it's in this scene as well that we find out a bit more about Brody's fear of the water I think I don't know if it's implicitly mentioned prior to this point we certainly see hints of it um in the scene when uh, Alex Kintner is killed and Brody is he runs to the edge of the water and he he sort of checks himself when he sees that he is really close to the water and he does not go physically in the water he gets as close as he possibly can is yelling at everyone to get out the water so um i mean correct me if i'm wrong but i don't know if it's sort of necessarily been mentioned prior to this that he actually has a fear of water is clearly an unease or a you know uncomfortableness that he has around water but it's it's mentioned here and in and there is a very funny <laughs> funny exchange between uh him and ellen but um i'll i'll come on to that later because i think we're sort of um we're talking about some sort of slightly more serious and in-depth <laughs> things here but yeah it's it's very clear in the way that brady has been acting up to this point that he is very uncomfortable in his surroundings and I think Gary, you mentioned this at the top as well, but this is the sort of moment as well where we see Brody really consciously make that decision to press on and do the right thing. At, at the end of this scene, he does agree to sort of going to to cut the shark open, and that is either going to prove conclusively that the shark they have caught is the one that killed Alex. If they open that shark uh, up and Alex is inside, then clearly it is game over. The shark has been caught. Um, but also equally if uh, the shark if it's not the shark which Hooper seems pretty convinced by um, there is it's only sort of gonna go south from from here really so he takes a bit of a leap of faith I think but has trust in Hooper that this is this is the right thing to do and and basically from this point goes you know yeah we need to we need to catch this shark and this and this is what we're gonna do so this is a and a real turning point, I feel, for, for Brody in sort of taking those anxieties and those things that he is concerned about and then channeling it into wanting to do the right thing for Amity. I mean, you could also argue that he is um, really drunk and that's what makes him make the decision. But um, yeah. <laughs> 
I mean, I think, and you you might think otherwise, that Brody knows, maybe 90% knows that this isn't the right shark. And I mm-hmm. think it's in his smirk right at the beginning of this segment when um, Hooper delivers the line, I'm going to tell the shoot that you've still got a shark problem, and Brody smirks as he's opening the wine mm-hmm. bottle. And to me, it's like, when Hooper mentions that, he already knows it and hasn't told his wife or his kids. Mm-hmm. But I think clearly his wife Ellen knows there's something up because of how Brody has acted over dinner. He's so quiet. And basically Hooper sitting down and saying those words, it's like letting the cat out of the bag. And it's just his mm-hmm. small smirk that just gives that all away in my eyes. Yeah, I mean, Brody, this scene is great because it starts off like we talked about last week um, in last week's episode where he he just kind of lets Hooper do his thing, but Hooper comes in and immediately breaks the tension with a joke, right? Where he asks, how was your day? And he knows he's been faced with this public acknowledgement of not just the cover-up, but I mean, yes, the cover-up, but that there has been a shark and that he's known about it this whole time. And now he's got to go forward with that knowledge completely out in the open. And that is definitely affecting public opinion of him. Yes. But now he knows that he's at this crossroads to make the right decision or let the mayor continue doing this because, you know, like we also talked about two weeks ago, the mayor at the end of that scene says, hey, dump this thing in the drink before uh, it starts to smell or whatever. But he has no interest in actually cutting the shark open privately or publicly. And that's when Brody says, no, like this, this isn't right. We are not going to stand for this in Amity. Like I'm here to serve and protect and that's what I'm going to do. And, uh, you know, I think he's using that paranoia for, and that, the, the the sins being brought to the light for good. Um, you know, it's like he went to WebMD and found out he was dying, but actually he's not, but also he's going to take care of whatever the actual cause was. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I think that obviously we, we spoke, um, we spoke last week and in previous episodes as well about the, the person who is on the right hand side of the screen having the power and even though this is a a whole new episode and you know it's still the same scene that we were that we were talking about last week and the power dynamic has not really changed at all hooper is still in the sort of power position and he made quite the impact uh when he came in and and just sort of like bowled into the brody house and upset their very pleasant evening i'm sure even though it was i think there were some tensions <laughs> tensions in there as well given and how brody was was acting even prior to to hooper arriving but yeah it's it's interesting i think to see hooper still sort of very much driving this and i think you mentioned mj about the the mayor and that was something that i didn't really pick up on in that episode i don't think we mentioned it until the following episode as well yeah. about Larry sort of saying 
we need to cut this shark down and, and throw it back in the ocean, basically. So there's a sense of urgency underpinning this this scene as well. So the conversation happens quite quickly in this scene. There's quite a lot of dialogue and it seems that the the decision is made by Brody sort of fairly quickly to sort of go out and and you know cut the shark open and find out for sure because not only does he need that certainty to uh, alleviate his anxieties or know what to do next there there has to be something as well probably more in Hooper's mind than Brody's that this evidence is about to be destroyed (laughs) and they need to get that answer really really soon and I mean I we were talking uh, off mic before we started recording but I watched the whole film today uh, just because uh, Martin wanted to watch it ahead of him appearing on an episode so I watched the whole film and had a really great time and <laughs> in the in that bit when Larry sort of says um, you know we're gonna cut down cut down the shark and throw it in the ocean or whatever I like basically yelled in Martin's ear and was like, he's destroying the evidence. And I think uh, unsettled him slightly because uh, he didn't know what I was going on about. But it's, it's yeah, it's it's right there. So there's a weird sense of urgency in this scene, which I don't think I've ever really picked up on before. It is a very comedic scene. There's a lot of funny things that happen in it. But also this, this dinner, uh, you know, this conversation can only really go one way because if they wait any longer if they leave it another day that evidence is going to be gone and then they've got nothing then to sort of conclusively say to Larry or to anyone else this is what has happened because they are doing their level best to get rid of any possible way of uncovering the truth and that's given that Larry is not physically in this scene that we're talking about he's still very much a presence and another thing I, I picked up on as well is Ellen um says that she heard uh about the shark being caught on the radio. So that you know conversation that was happening down on the dock with with Harry saying, you know, we need to get this on the radio, we need to get this in the newspapers and whatever, it's clearly worked. They have not waited <laughs> to find out um, or prove anything otherwise, they've gone, that's a shark, it's pretty big, let's tell all the radio stations it's caught. And Ellen has already heard that on the news, so clearly the news is out there, and Larry is really ready to just kind of move on from this from this whole thing and pretend it never happened and get the people back on the beaches. So, yeah, that sense of urgency i don't know if if that was something you guys picked up on as well or anything else in this scene that sort of emphasizes that sense of urgency well one thing i thought about today when i was watching it this is really bad i know but the fact that they are getting rid of that evidence like they're a seaside town and they've got a shark they could be using that shark meat in the restaurants (laughs) not not putting it back into the ocean you know They've got the 4th of July coming up. They could be having shark on the menu. They could be using it as a marketing campaign. But nope, Larry, being the villain he is, wants to just put it back in the ocean as if it never existed. Yeah, we, we don't uh, we don't condone uh, shark fin soup on this podcast because it's barbaric, but they <laughs> clearly joking. go down... Yeah, no, no. They clearly go down that uh, commercial route, though, because we see in a few scenes' time that they, you know, it's like... Uh, 
you can buy the picture of the shark or you can buy like shark jaws and shark souvenirs and stuff on the beach like it's really wild the the spin they put on they put on this so i mean yeah it's a good it's it's a good point to be honest like it's not just you know destroying the evidence it's like a shrewd businessman maybe would have you know cleaned it up a bit and kept that shark carcass there so people could come along and i don't know pay pay five dollars and have their photo taken with the shark or something (laughs) (laughs) um the other thing just talking about that as well with um the urgency that's what hooper comes in with i think he realizes as well there's a limited window and i need to get this point across and i think he does it in a really interesting way because he uses ellen because he can't get through to Brody, who's sitting there very silent trying to open the wine and pour it he speaks to ellen and ellen asks the questions therefore Brody has to listen whether he likes to or no so he obviously he almost channels through ellen to get his point across mm. to Brody. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, it, I mean, it's more evidence to what we've talked about in every time we've had an episode where Ellen and uh, Martin are interacting, where I think Ellen's also cognizant of that mm. point. And so she is happy to step in to help him process this. Like she, you know, she obviously wants to help based on her line in the previous um, episode where she says that she would like to talk to her husband as well and she knows that hey if hooper you know here's the thing i know we are giving hooper a lot of crap for just kind of barreling into their house <laughs> and inviting himself over for dinner but he made the right decision i think it's actually very astute of hooper to realize that this is the only way he's going to be able to get through to Brody and I think he understands the sense of urgency here and that's why he does this I think there is little column a little column b social awkwardness and uh Hooper being very smart in how he reads the Brody and 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 how he understands Brody like the, the type of person he understands Brody to be because I think he knows okay I'm gonna go over there for dinner and and you know away from the dock and the busyness and the job and no uniforms on no fancy gear like we we need to hash this out in person over some drinks maybe some social lubricant uh, although i'm not sure he understands the extent to which Brody <laughs> will be using that social lubricant um and uh you know figure this out away from the stressors somewhere private somewhere that feels safe to brody somewhere where he's comfortable and the only thing i can think of is his house and um, I think, you know, it is ultimately the right decision. I think also um, in the 70s, it wasn't that unusual for people to just kind of show up at your doorstep because we didn't have texting or cell phones or anything. So, uh, you know, I think now we, you know, we're always texting each other as we're leaving a house. But that didn't happen until like the last maybe 25 years. So, um, you know, I just think that was also more of a common occurrence. Like, I don't think it's that weird for 1970s America to just have someone show up and be like, hey, I brought wine. Time, let's eat. (laughs) What we wouldn't do to have that just now. (laughs) (laughs) Right? (laughs) A very pleasant uh, intrusion. Um, Something that actually that dawned on me just now as you were talking, MJ, is that not only is this a kind of crucial turning point moment for Brody in sort of 
choosing what he is going to do next and whether they are now going to conclusively say, is this the shark or isn't this the shark? But the sense of urgency, again, this is a turning point for Hooper because one of the things he Mm. mentions to Ellen is that he is leaving tomorrow. (laughs) I've just, I've pulled the the script up in front of me um, and he, as sort of Brody is just about to take a a big old gulp of his very large beverage that he's just poured, um, he says, uh, you're going to be the only rational man left on this island after I leave tomorrow. And then this whole conversation happens between him and Ellen and he's about to go on this 18-month research trip on the uh, floating asylum, as he calls it, which is uh, a ship that is basically just going out to research sharks for a year and a half. So not something I had had really picked up on before, but again, there's another real, real sense of urgency for Hooper, which is maybe explains why he has sort of like barreled into the Brody house in the manner that he has, Mm -hmm. because this is like a now or never moment for him and a turning point for him in the sense that they're either gonna find out that this this was the shark and he can head off on his research trip the next day and sort of think you know good well that was that was a nice uh, deviation for a little while had a great time in amity uh nice bottle of wine stole someone's dinner all good for hooper um <laughs> or they're gonna <laughs> or they're gonna find out that the shark is still out there and this is gonna completely unsettle all the plans uh that that he has and is potentially gonna have to call off that that trip and and stay here and, and sort out this problem instead and 18 months is not a short amount of time either that's a fairly lengthy commitment so it it, it shows obviously hooper's dedication in, in wanting to to tackle this problem um but also the wanting to tackle it right now because he kind of has no choice uh he's gonna leave tomorrow (laughs) i don't think that had ever really hit me uh until just now um that as of the next day if they don't cut this shark open hooper is going to be gone and it's you know then brody has lost all the backup that he has i think brody realizes that as well actually you know he's maybe if they don't do something right now he's maybe about to lose uh the only sort of ally that he has uh on this island when it comes up to sort of squaring off against larry at least Mm. yeah and i think later on that scene is mentioned again i think it's when the fourth of july punters are starting to arrive and it cuts to hooper Mm. on the phone and it might be the institute that he's on the phone to and he says something like i don't need to come see sharks there i've got a shark problem right here and I think maybe yeah. that's them calling on him. And he's like, I'm not going anywhere. I've got a sharp problem here that I'm dealing with. <laughs> yeah, they've called him like from the boat. Like, uh, Hooper, where where are you? Are you coming? Or, you know, we're literally about to leave. <laughs> and he's like, nope, shark problem here. No, no can do. <laughs> I think as well, Hooper starts this scene off or this segment off really clever because he starts by removing his glasses and giving them a wipe. And I don't mm-hmm. believe there's a single mark or a single speck of dust on those glasses. <laughs> it's what an educated professor may do before giving a lecture. And that's basically what he does in this scene. Not in a not a bad way, but um, when he says they caught a shark, not the shark. And mm. when he says that... Um, 
basically I think Brody already knew that and hadn't said to Ellen as I've already said but Hooper's just stamped that right out and then Hooper places his hands on the table and he kind of like clasps his fingers together and it's very sophisticated way to to sit at a dinner table and it's as if he's given this speech to his new students and he's now going to educate them <laughs> and Hooper's got as you have said like Hooper's got nothing to lose this is like a world of excitement to him and he's not a bad guy and he will try and save this town but he's almost going to have fun doing it and that's why he's willing to cancel this other trip away and as you said Sarah there is this look of excitement on Hooper's face as Brody starts throwing questions at him um, and he goes back to clasping his hands together and he gives his advice and um, when Brody announces towards the end that he's going to cut the shark open, Hooper gulps down his wine and it's almost like this cheers moment. He's like, yes, we're going to do it. I'm excited again. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hooper gulping down the wine is one of my favorite bits that I don't think I've ever <laughs> truly like cognitized about this scene when I was watching it right now. I was like, oh, he's like ready to go. He's he's <laughs> He's on board. Uh, mm-hmm. with this. And yeah, I mean, like you said, Gary, uh, Hooper cleaning his glasses is kind of what he does before he just spits straight facts at people, like with no uh, BS attached. Like it's 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 the sign that, that Hooper is going to say a truth that you may not be entirely comfortable with, but it's the truth regardless of what you think about it. <laughs> and um I don't know if he does it a third time, but he definitely does it at least one other time before this when he tells them that there was, you know, not Jack the Ripper as a shark or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, even in that, we were talking about he he goes so far as to wash his face with water. So really just kind of, you know, making sure the 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 air is as clear as possible, that, that he is as clean as he can be when he's delivering... Um, these facts yeah the only other time that i can think of him wiping his glasses is before he goes into the cage but that's way further forward but it might be something Mm -hmm. there like it's almost his small little trait Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah we we mentioned that i think certainly last week maybe a couple of episodes ago as well where it's it's one of those sort of like hooperisms just a, a perhaps a a thing he does without even realizing it is just sort of taking his glasses off and cleaning them. I mean, I'm a glasses wearer, but I'm very bad at cleaning my glasses, so I can't Same. relate specifically <laughs> to this mannerism. It's normally when someone's like, "Your glasses are filthy. You might want to clean them." I'm like, "Oh yeah, I should probably, I should probably do that." For um, me, it's like, why is it's... everything blurry and why am I dizzy? And it's like, oh, it's <laughs> why because can't I can't see. see? Yeah. <laughs> why am I blind or more blind than normal? Um. Yeah, so it's it's uh, a, a mannerism thing, but then also, like you said, MJ, it's about to sort of spit out those those truth bombs. And I'd not really thought about it in the professor sense um, until you mentioned it, Gary. But that's a very very good point because what he is saying in this scene is basically, "I'm Hooper. Thank you for coming to my TED talk." Like he is <laughs> really laying it out there and and enjoying it i think as well i've never really got that sense of enjoyment from hooper in this scene before he's very amused i think by what brody is doing um 
and him and Ellen sort of share a little chuckle when he pours himself out the gigantic glass of wine. Um, but he's also, there is that sort of childlike glint in his eye where he's not scared by this this shark or the idea of this shark like perhaps Brody is. He, you know, going out there and cutting this shark open and, and going out investigating and trying to find this shark is, is kind of what he does. So he is excited by it, this sort of sense of adventure, um, which I think you see a lot later into the film or it feels like later, given how we're doing it anyway, um, when the sort of shark first appears and he's trying to get that picture um, and is, is trying to get Brody in the foreground and Brody is like, <laughs> absolutely no way. And he's like, I want to have something for scale. You know, he, he's he's quite excited by the whole thing. He wants to get this really great picture of this shark just to sort of be like, yeah, I was there. I saw this shark. Um, but I, I think... Let's let's get onto some of the really funny things in this scene because I think we sort of skirted around them um, a little bit, but we're not maybe giving this <laughs> scene the credit. I think for just how funny it is, it's really great. I mean, a, a testament to how wonderful Jaws is that in a scene that is probably on surface level seen as quite comedic, that we've got all of this stuff out of it so far, but. Yeah, some of the the funniest bits, I think, uh, Brody pouring the after he spent so long as well, like really hacking into this wine bottle, pouring himself not just this giant pint of wine, but he pours it over the beverage that he already has in there, and it's it's unclear what beverage it is. I mean, it looks like whiskey, which is a real choice if you're like pouring wine onto whiskey i don't think it is whiskey just based on the type of glass that he is pouring it into i don't know my drinks well enough so if someone can confirm either way <laughs> that'd be great but i i just love that at this point he his cup of care is entirely empty but his uh tumbler in front of him is definitely not empty it overflows with wine yeah i would say it maybe is whiskey inside the glass because brody at this point doesn't seem to bother what he's drinking out of like that's not on his <laughs> mind what's on his mind is i need a beverage and i will take the first that's clean glass point. that's sitting in front of me <laughs> in which case what a boss move from brody to just be like whiskey wine the two together you didn't think they could mix but i'm about to prove otherwise <laughs> Yeah, it's uh it's the the Goldblum quote where uh in in or the Ian Malcolm quote where he was so concerned with whether or not he he could that he didn't stop to think about whether or not he should. <laughs> yeah, I think the only thing going through Brody's mind that this is like what is going to get me drunkest the quickest. Uh, that is the only concern he has, but that that moment of him pouring that vast amount of wine into that glass and the looks exchanged between Ellen and Hooper. Ellen, like, trying so hard not to laugh as well and, like, barely containing it. Hooper is sort of chuckling away. He's just quite amused by the whole thing. It's just so good. It's just one of those really great small interactions between characters that I just absolutely love, and it's it's very, very funny as well. Yeah, I would say as well, the wine is almost like a metaphor or quite symbolic in this scene here as well, because obviously there's like the symbolism between blood and wine, which you could mm -hmm. almost say there as well. But Hooper has come into his house with all these stories about sharks and how 
he's seen the shark rip up his boat and Ellen seems like really keen to hear more and almost this the measures that's poured it's almost like Brody's saying yeah this is still my house and I can drink as much as I want and I'm going to prove <laughs> that here so Brody pours himself the largest glass of wine ever and it's like I can handle that just like I can handle this situation I can handle the shark and he's also the one that's given out the wine which could be saying that mm. this is my house I'm in charge of this room I'm in charge of the wine and I'm in charge on this island and you've come into my house with all these shark facts and <laughs> um, but I do think Hooper tries to come back in as the intelligent one because he then says you know you might want to let that breathe for a bit and this still shows Hooper's cleverness, even if Brody is in charge. So I think there's a lot mm-hmm. to be said just with pouring these free glasses of wine. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I noticed that that you might want to let that breathe a bit, and I was taking it in the context of class, like we talked about last week, where mm. you know Hooper's trying to do this by the book, and uh, you know you let red wine breathe for twenty minutes. That's what you do. You have to aerate the the wine, or else it's not going to taste. That's good because of I don't know tannins or some shit. I don't I don't know how wine works, um, but uh, it's just super funny because it shows sort of the you know the three classes at this on display that we'll see even more later in the film. But also the nervous energy with which Brody like grabs onto that bottle like it's Linus's blanket from the Charlie Brown cartoons. And starts like futzing with the label and sheepishly telling Hooper the shark facts that he's looked up um, is really great. There's a uh, there's a performer that I used to work with when I used to work at a live music venue during concert production, and he was a very nervous performer. And he would hold on to a bottle of water, much like with the, the exact same type of energy that Brody is holding on to this wine glass while he was performing and uh it, that, on a personal note that made me laugh because it reminded me of of him i was like hey i've seen this before <laughs> um, <laughs> mm. yeah he's he is attacking that bottle i think we mentioned last week the sort of the probably not the best way of opening the wine bottle but he certainly he certainly gets the job done he certainly gets into the wine he is not really caring about removing the cork properly and stuff he's like cutting it i think with part of the corkscrew and then Mm -hmm. is just sort of nervously picking at the label after that and um one of my favorite bits certainly in this scene and i think a contender a very strong contender for my favorite delivery of a line from Roy Scheider a very specific thing but you better believe I have a list for it um is the way that he says uh so after Ellen (laughs) is sort of going on this uh little bit of a speech a little bit of a moment of sort of talking about Brody whilst he is there and sort of really laying out this uh phobia that he has on the table so she says Martin hates the boats, he hates water, Martin sits in the car when we go to the ferry, when we go on the ferry to the mainland, sorry. And then she's like, oh, I guess it's a childhood thing, there's a there's a clinical name for it, isn't there? And then Brody just absolutely deadpan says drowning, and then immediately <laughs> moves on to his next point. But it, there's a really small gesture he does with his left hand, because he's sort of fiddling with the, the bottle. Um, but in the exact moment that he says drowning, he sort of like uh, does this almost sort of like brushing his his hand movement where he's clearly 
I don't know, picked off a bit of the label and is sort of like chucking it on the floor. But it also like translates as this very sort of like brusque kind of <laughs> hand movement. It just really amused me seeing that this time around and that delivery is so good. I mean, to be that deadpan is a real a real skill, I think. And to make it so funny as well, I will never not be amused by that line. It's so, so perfectly delivered um, by one of the best actors of all time, Roy Scheider. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... Oh, Sorry. I, I, I was just going to say there that it's interesting because we spoke about everything that Chief Brody has been uh, involved in up to this point with Chrissy, with Alex both dying. Uh, you've got Alex's mum blaming him. And then Hooper's come into his house and then Ellen decides to almost weaken Brody as a figure again by let him, letting him know that he's got this phobia. So that's why you would maybe come across deadpan as well. Like, do we really need to bring this up now? It's called drowning. Let's move on. <laughs> so because... I read that as he has a similar water-based childhood trauma. Um, granted, Quince wasn't when he was a child necessarily, but he's on the same level as these guys, but he has clearly not even attempted to resolve it at all. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we could I guess we could talk about how... Uh, maybe Quint chose the the vengeance path, which is maybe not a great way to resolve it either. But I think that that this hints that there's a lot in common in these three characters' backgrounds. But if you notice um, later in the movie, Hooper and Quint bond over sharing this trauma and Brody doesn't. He's standing not he's not at the table with them he's standing far away from them he's not lit particularly well in that scene i think this is sort of a setup for that later on in the film he's not open about his past he's not open about his backstory the way these guys are um with each other and i think we kind of see that animosity grow between brody and quint after that and uh like not to get too far ahead of ourselves i guess it's a little late for me to be saying that but um (laughs) you know we see that because after that is when quint destroys the radio and brody blows up at him and there's like there's way more conflict between brody and quint from that point forward than there is between quint and hooper and it's because brody's not open about whatever happened to him that that shook him about the water like it's there's there's an implication there that something bad happened, whether he knew someone that was close to him that drowned or he, you know, survived a, a potential drowning or, or something. So I think there is really smart um, groundwork being laid in this scene for how the relationship between the three characters in the back half of the movie is going to play out. Yeah, and that's why the three characters work so well together, because... You've got Brody who has got this fear of the water and won't embrace it at all. You've got Hooper who was attacked by a shark and now loves sharks. And mm-hmm. then you've got Quint who was also attacked by sharks and hates them. And then put the three of them together and it's just this wonderful chemistry on screen to watch. And without if you took one of the them characters out they they wouldn't survive together they almost the three of them need each other to keep this even keel mm. but yeah we are getting ahead of ourselves 
Hey, that's that's okay, because this is a really, really interesting point, and I think that things that we're picking up on now at this stage are going to be things that will be so interesting to explore as we get later into the film, particularly, I think, as our three leads sort of come together for the first time and when they start interacting for the first time, and certainly when they're out on the boat, we get a real sense of their differences and them coming from different places i think in in terms of of class certainly and in background and in what they do and their roles in society and all of those things but this this idea of them all having um some kind of this is going to sound strange but some kind of water-based trauma event Mm -hmm. (laughs) happened to them when they were were you know younger or at least you know prior to them sort of being on amity anyway is such an interesting thing and I think really, really shapes their character arcs going forward and certainly in their in their fates as well and what happens to them. I mean, Brody really has to overcome a lot. I mean, he comes from being this guy who is too frightened of the water to even go in even close to the water when his like own kid is out there and the, the shark attack has just happened in front of his eyes. He goes from that to being you know the guy on on the the top of the crow's nest at the end with the gun pointed at the shark and he really goes on a journey from that place of being incredibly scared and of of the ocean and traumatized by what happens to him to then to then where he ends up but the their relationships i guess with what has happened to them in their past really says a lot about the characters that they become later in the film i mean hooper experience this thing with a shark and rather than it making him scared it made him go oh these creatures are fascinating i want to study them and obviously he had the money and the resources and the family background to be able to do that um brody i mean it's not clear where he sort of grew up where he was born but if something happened to him in his childhood that involved water obviously you know we would presume that it was either on a holiday or that he used to live close to the beach you know, perhaps that was what I'm going, I'm going deeper than I thought I was going to hear. But um, perhaps that's why he moved to New York, because, you know, it's not, uh, this is where my geography might be really bad, but it's not that near the beach, right? Uh... I mean, it's, it, no, it's pretty close. Okay. <laughs> Forget I said anything. Um, No, but like, it's not, I guess it's not known for being like a beachy place. Yeah per se it's like a big city and yeah so i don't know thank you for for making me not sound completely stupid there mj that was very much appreciated um (laughs) and yeah so uh quint taking taking his experiences and channeling it into rage and wanting to be a hunter and and track down sharks and kill them because of what happened to him um brody is now in that position where he is he's gonna have to face that past of what happened to him whether he liked it or not perhaps he had tried to move away from that or distance himself from you know from facing that fear before but now he really has no choice he is on an island and is gonna have to face up to this shark at some point um yeah i'm hoping that made some sense what i think i was getting at was (laughs) their past experiences basically shaping what we see out of them in the future and later on in the film and i think that adds a whole extra interesting layer to these characters and 
anyone who says that Jaws is just about a shark, I would like them to rethink that because it is about so much more. These characters are so incredible. The groundwork that is laid early on in this film for the things that we see later is honestly blowing my mind every single week. It's just incredible. This script, these characters, they're so good. Just so good. (laughs) So, uh, Sarah, you mentioning about you know, New York and its relationship to the ocean. This is something I've never thought about in regards to Brody. But mm-hmm. uh, so I looked this up because I wasn't entirely sure, sure. Sure. I knew there was a waterfront. But um, New York is comprised of the five the five boroughs um, or like neighborhoods. And mm-hmm. two of the five are just straight up islands themselves. Interesting. Uh, Manhattan and Staten Island are islands. And then Brooklyn and Queens are geographically located on Long Island, mm-hmm. um, which is an island. And then the the Bronx is attached to the U.S. mainland. So only one of the five major areas of New York City is attached to the U.S. mainland at all, but it's still facing the ocean. It's still got a waterfront. So mm. he's not really trading in too much by, by going to Amity. <laughs> um, presumably he would live probably in the Bronx or um, at least the, the islands feel big enough and it's there's enough cityscape, right? Because like you said, we don't think of New York being like a beach city. Um, mm. And there's certainly beaches. I know, you know, I don't, I'm not, I've never been, but I know there are people who go to beaches in and around New York, but I don't think we think of New York City as like, oh, that's a beach town <laughs> the way right. we yeah. think of Amity. And so I think that is an important distinction to to make that there's, this feels way more like the ocean is way more in your face in Amity mm-hmm. than it is in New York. Like New York is just kind of part of it and you just kind of, you know, accept it and kind of deal with it. But I mean, it's, you know, like we said, four fifths of it is almost the same as Amity. It just doesn't have that small town feel and the skyscrapers kind of block that from really like understanding that you're on an island. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think it's really interesting where the fear of water uh, and drowning can come from because my mum was afraid of water and it was basically, it was from childhood where she went to do swimming lessons and the instructor just pushed her into the pool to get her started. And mm. from that moment, my mum has never been in a swimming pool again. And to the point where even when she would like go for a shower, the shower head would have to be below her face because just water getting splashed on her face made her panic. So it's really interesting. Something so small can like change your life for the rest of it, basically. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, I'm so excited to really dive into the, the scenes later in this film where we see these three characters together. I think we are going to have so much fun unpacking those things. Like I said, I did watch the entire film earlier, and which I don't do every week because that would be insane. Um, but I, I just kept, I found myself just getting so excited about some of those scenes just thinking i cannot wait to get really really stuck into these and it's so amazing that a scene like this that maybe you don't think about the implications this scene has on on the later scenes and 
our conversation last week where we were talking about the, the sort of the mention of the thresher shark as well and how that comes back into it later honestly when i watched that scene where they're sort of comparing scars and he says rather indignantly it's a shark when uh brody can't remember what a thresher is i was just like that's such a good payoff like it's <laughs> all this stuff is like right there but I don't know, maybe if you're just watching the film, you don't sort of pick up all of these things. And I mean, hopefully we're we're helping people uncover things in the film they hadn't realised. I learn stuff every single week and just what a joy it is to go into this film in this amount of detail um, because there's, there's just so, there's just so much. <laughs> there really is so much good stuff in this film and... I, I don't know if you guys had anything else that you wanted to mention, but I did just want to say how much I love uh, Hooper, not Hooper, uh, Brody's final line uh, in this scene where he says, I can do anything, I'm the chief of police. It's such a okay. great, uh, iconic, quotable line. Um, I love the sort of, the way he looks at Ellen when he says it as well, the way he sips the drink um, as he says it. It's just so great so fantastic i think that line is the one that is quoted in stranger things as well by the similarly named to hooper uh character hopper um that's like a direct quote that he says uh in an episode of stranger things as well he says i can do anything i'm the chief of police so uh big fan of that reference and big fan of that line it's really great <laughs> i didn't realize that yeah it's been quoted oh, yeah. so much like through mm -hmm. life since then hasn't it as well yeah Mm -hmm. By me, mostly, I feel. Like <laughs> <laughs> Is that one of the lines competing to end up in your vows? Oh, potentially. I mean, this this could be, I don't know, maybe this line going forward will just be what I say when I am like 100% certain that I am right about something in our future marriage and I can just be like, I can do anything, I'm the chief of police. I, it just, it really just rolls off the tongue. I can think of already so many different scenarios that this will work in. So yeah. I'm definitely putting it on the uh, the brainstorming list for slipping into the <laughs> wedding vows <laughs> somehow. And it <laughs> obviously works so much better with a glass of wine in your hand, as we see by Brody. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. The delivery of it. Oh God, it's so good. Roy Scheider is so great. He can do comedy he can do like amazing face acting subtle gestures just wonderful delivery of lines constantly he's so funny in this scene as well i think that to give him to give him the credit as well there's so much good stuff in this scene but just watching his face and his mannerisms in this scene is very very funny and i think that final line is just a real a real beauty the, the way it's delivered is so perfect Absolutely, yeah. Um, did you have anything else that you wanted to mention, Gary? Sorry, I've, I realise we have <laughs> we have mentioned many, many things and probably not spoken about everything that we wanted to. But if there's yeah, if there's anything else that you wanted to to mention, then uh, then go ahead. Um, yeah, it might be a wee bit long, so you can cut it out if it is. But it was just some of the the camera angles and the framing that's used in this scene because people might look at this scene as quite boring when it comes to the use of camera but it's really not so in this segment it starts off with the three of them in shot and then it goes to Ellen with her concern when she finds out that they might not have the correct shark and then it does the reverse and cuts to Hooper as Hooper says a shark not the shark and 
for these shots, Brody is left completely out of frame. As mm. for me, this is Hooper telling Ellen and therefore telling civilians and taking it out of Brody's jurisdiction and power. And then it cuts back to that wide shot of Brody pouring the wine. And for me, that's him bringing himself back into the situation and taking control. He will pour as much wine as he wants and when he wants, as we've said. Um, then it cuts back to Hooper uh, with Brody in the foreground. And Hooper says, you know, you're going to be the only rational man left on this island when I'm gone. And Ellen is taken out of the scene. And it's because it's back to business and it's about the men and how they're going to deal with this shark. And it's now no longer about the civilian that's sitting at the table. But Ellen claws her way back in by um, asking where Hooper's go going. Like when he says he's going on the um, mental uh, the asylum for shark lovers. And it cuts out Brody because he's not interested in that at all. Like obviously he does not want to talk about sharks or anything like that. But he's brought back in when Ellen speaks about his fear of the water. And that's like a personal problem between Martin and his family. It's probably affected their lives, where they go on holiday, who teaches their kids to swim. And that's none of Hooper's business, so he's left out of it. And I just think it's really interesting. And then lastly, when Brody this, um, says drowning and then puts all his attention to Hooper to talk about the sharks and all the facts that he's learned, we actually don't see Ellen's face for the rest of that scene because it's about those two men discussing that problem and it's back to business and it's what we're going to do about it. So even when Ellen says, Martin, can you do that? And he gives that great line that Sarah's just went on about. Um, we don't actually see Ellen's face when she delivers her line. And I just think the use of camera work through all of that is amazing because it's like, who's taking the power of the scene when they're discussing certain subject matters? and who's removed from the scene as well. Mm -hmm. to, to, to normal people, that's probably a lot of rubbish, but I just think it's genius. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, uh, that's really good. I think, um, especially too, if you take into context that, so Ellen's being a proxy for the citizenry of Amity and to a certain extent, the audience, right? So when um, Hooper says that he's leaving, the, it, you know, Brody, or, they're both Brody. Ellen says, uh, <laughs> Ellen says, you know, where are you going? Like, she's like, what the hell? Like, you just, you just came here to help us. Why are you leaving when you can help us? And I think there's, I don't think Ellen has this about Martin necessarily, but I think through that, she's voicing some of the very understandable distrust that the citizens of Amity would maybe have towards Brody now because he just publicly took the brunt of covering up Chrissy Watkins' murder. And um, so she's saying, you're the one guy who's come, to, come in to help us. Like, these people haven't done anything for us, obviously. Like, uh, you know, like I said, I don't think Ellen is uh, insinuating this, but she's basically, when she's speaking for the, the people of Amity, saying, hey, our leadership hung us out to dry on this and you're the one person who can save us from this and then he, she voices that again at the end of the scene when uh brody says we're gonna go cut the shark open she's like can you do that like all of a sudden she's now like questioning his authority of like i mean is that even something you can do when 
before it was like, well, why didn't they protect us at all costs? You know, there's just a shadow of doubt that's been cast on Brody. And I think that's one of the reasons he's experiencing such high anxiety in the scene to begin with. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why Brody can't make eye contact with her or even Hooper, mm. really, because his eye level is down on the wine bottle for all of it. The only yeah. time he makes eye contact with Hooper is to offer him a glass of wine. And mm. he doesn't really speak until he's nursed his. It's like almost a bit of Dutch courage before he goes to business. And mm. when he is asking Hooper these questions, he doesn't make eye contact either. And I think that's because he doesn't need an emotional response. He just needs the facts that he's read about. And mm. that's why he's picking at the wine bottle. <clears throat> Sorry. That's why he's picking at the wine bottle. It's almost like a scab that you pick at. He's been told to leave it alone. He's been told to leave this whole incident alone, but he just can't help but pick. And I think that's a really good metaphor there for when he is like, you know, picking at the label on the top of the, the bottle. Hmm. Yeah, it, it what's so interesting about the the way the camera moves in this scene and the different shots is how well it contrasts with the previous moment that we talked about as well and we mentioned last week that when sort of Hooper first arrives and they all sit down at the the dinner table it's one of these really sneaky Spielberg long takes where you don't even realize it that there's no sort of cuts uh, it's just sort of focused on these three people at the table and that's when the sort of the start of the conversation is a bit more leisurely i suppose you know obviously hooper is is helping himself to the dinner and sort of you know breaking the ice by saying you know how was your day and then sort of chatting away to ellen but the transition into this bit that we're talking about today is really like getting down to business like you said gary but also as we mentioned earlier the urgency on so many different fronts is is really increasing so the fact that it sort of goes from this pretty long one take or or long shot into then sort of the camera uh cutting between different characters certain people being cut out cut out of the shot others being included and it sort of it does move around at quite a pace as well um i think is really emphasizing you know the the pleasantries have uh, have finished. The the small talk has been made, and now this is the sort of the business end of the conversation. And the frequency of the cuts is, I guess, showing that sense of of urgency as well. So a, a shout out as always to Verna Fields, the editor of Jaws, who just does fantastic work on this film. This is such a subtly edited and cut scene but there's as we have just proven in sort of the last you know five or so minutes of this conversation so much to take away from just how this scene is put together and particularly with how it contrasts with the with the previous bit as well yeah I, well and the other thing too is is brody mumbles his way through this scene and it's partially because he's drunk but it's mainly like that's not what i hear in his voice until the end when he gets his confidence back from his you know like mm. you said dutch courage uh but it's to me it's more anxiety and shame that he's i mean he's been pretty authoritative the the whole movie and and he's not in that mode in and when he's talking to hooper even when he's spouting these shark facts that that, that he clearly has memorized and is correct about no i, I totally agree with that and because he is mumbling 
then at the end when he delivers that line, that's what makes that line work so well because uh-huh. everything else is almost like a subtle slur. And then at mm. the end, it's he's embraced this drunken persona and he's <laughs> like, I'm going to do what I want here. Um, mm. I actually did listen with headphones because I noticed that yous have been doing that a lot. And I felt mm. like there was this almost wind noise with like bubbling water. It almost sounded like the inside of a cave or something. It might just be because the film is so old and I was watching it on DVD. But <laughs> um, I thought there was something there and those types of like sea noises and like wind whistles that I could hear mixed with Brody's fear worked really well, even if it was me subconsciously hearing it. <laughs> yeah, it's like the, the constant presence of water, that thing that Brody fears, but is also going to have to face uh, pretty quickly as well. And I uh, spilled over into the following scene as well when they sort of start the autopsy. And like the first thing you hear in that scene is like a foghorn as well, which is another kind of sea noise. It's like the sound that uh, a sort of lighthouse makes as it is warning ships um so that's a really interesting thing as well there's a lot of i mean the sound work is really great in this film as well it's a a real benefit to wearing headphones um watching this film and watching it with subtitles as well just so you pick on up pick up on all those small bits of dialogue that you maybe missed before but yeah those the the background noises and stuff i think i i admit i didn't i didn't pick out uh the things you mentioned gary in this in this scene but we've seen previously that the Brody house is very very close to the water so the fact that you would be able to hear the water and hear the ocean is not unreasonable to to think of and it's yeah that very subtle uh here is the thing that you fear Brody, and it is knocking right at your door (laughs) yeah i mean yeah they have a dock attached to their house basically Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm He's very, very close <laughs> to the ocean, probably the closest he wanted to be, and he's about yeah. to get a whole lot closer to it as well. Uh, in uh, yeah, not long at all. Um, yeah, I unless you guys had anything else, I think that's probably us for today. MJ, did you have anything, anything else in your notes? Nope, I'm good. Okay, Gary, anything else before we wrap up? Nope, I think we have dissected that scene rather well. (laughs) (laughs) We have truly, uh, truly dissected this scene in the same way that Hooper will be dissecting the shark in next week's scene. There's a little hint. uh, (laughs) Hint at next week's uh, scene, which I'm very, very excited to talk about. Um, But Gary, thank you you so much for being such uh, a great guest. And you've really... You've brought some things that I have not thought about as well. So uh, you said that you were hoping to sort of fall even more in love with this film uh, after our conversation. And I think us having this conversation, you know, you guys, you didn't think it was possible. You didn't think it was possible for me to love Jaws any more than I already do. But here we are having finished this conversation <laughs> and I am more in love with this film than I think I have ever been. So thank you, Gary, for um yeah contributing to this conversation and being a really great guest so do you want to let the people know where they can find you on social media and um tell us about your podcast as well and where we can find that 
Um, yeah, and also thank you for having me on. The two of you are really great hosts, and it's a pleasure to be part of the conversation as well as listen to you. Um, so yeah, I run the Choose Film podcast with my new co-host Rebecca Riddle, and we basically get a guest on each episode and they pick the film and therefore we have no choice of what we watch. We usually give a particular theme and they have to find a film in that theme. And yeah, you can find that at Film Choose on Twitter and Choose Film on Instagram. And you can find me at Hewitt G Pro on Twitter and Instagram. The only thing I would like to plug other than that is the fact that I believe that Pippin is actually still alive as well. Um, <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and my theory for that is that the shark's belly is already full, so it would not need to attack anyone else or anything else. <laughs> Yes, thank you. The content we are all here for, defending my uh, idea that the the lovely dog that we see earlier in the scene is alive and well and just running around on a beach somewhere and has definitely not been eaten by a shark. So thank you. Thank you for uh, <laughs> backing me up on, on that one. Um, yeah, if you want to follow us on Twitter, you can find the show. Uh, we are at Jaws for a Minute on Twitter. You can follow me. I'm at Sarah Buddery. And you can follow MJ at MJSmith891. If you want to send us any feedback or questions or comments or anything else, you can email us um, at JawsForAMinute at gmail.com. You can uh, support us in a variety of different ways. Uh, you can rate, review and subscribe on your uh, podcatcher of choice. Uh, the best ones for that are Apple Podcasts and Spotify um, and just generally tell everyone, tell all your friends whether they like Jaws or not uh, to listen to us. We would really, really appreciate that. And you can buy some of our wonderful merchandise uh, through TeePublic and Redbubble. The links for that are in our Twitter bio. We've got two wonderful designs i'm very biased but they are so so good um and we've had quite a few orders on those recently so i am expecting to see some lovely selfies uh and us tagged in twitter when your swag arrives so please do share that with us um and go and buy a t-shirt or some other merch uh, if you haven't already and you can also support us through coffee um the link is in our twitter bio again for that um, you can make a small donation to the show and uh, as thanks uh, we will give you a shout out as well um so yeah you can find all of that stuff in our twitter bio and uh we will be back next week talking about the shark autopsy scene we're super pumped about that because we have a really exciting guest for that so you guys are definitely going to want to check that out um so yeah we will see you next week uh, until then it's jaws o'clock somewhere do 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 do